welcome to Game Day of London. Uh, my name's Chris Payne, um, and uh, with me is uh, fellow host uh, Ahmed El Badawi. Uh, let me uh, bring Ahmed in. There we go. <laughs> uh, welcome to the podcast, Ahmed. Um, Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, today we're going to do a slightly uh, different format. We're going to be chatting about some of uh, last week's uh, topical news story. So I wanted to open with the news of CD Projekt Red being hacked. For people who don't know, uh, hackers broke into CD Projekt Red's systems and managed to steal a whole bunch of data, including uh, a lot of development assets such as source code, but also uh, details of uh, the staff and so on. We don't know how sensitive those uh, details might be at this point. And they're basically ransoming that data back to CD Projekt. Um, so um, what were your immediate thoughts about uh, this when you read the, the news, Ahmed? Hey, like, it sucks. <laughs> like, because like, especially because a lot, I mean, a lot of the data, a lot of the data, I mean, like, well, I say data, like from the case of like the personal data, it sucks for the employees, particularly because like the game that they've been working on, I mean, it had notoriously bad crunch and a lot of like the issues kind of got dumped on them and their shoulders and like the blame was kind of put upon them, especially like if you're QA, which I don't even, I'm not even sure if they had a QA department, but uh, at least like what a sizable team, but like they got the blame like for like all the issues with the game and everything and now they have their like personal data stolen and all the hard work and blood sweat and tears that went that they put the like all their effort into just to get it like like nicked and sold to the highest bidder yeah it, it's it's really frustrating that there are people out there who don't see they see the company as a company i mean you get this a lot with um people talking about um electronic arts or ubisoft as mm. if it is uh some kind of like giant robot um uh yeah when obviously in fact cd project is made up of a whole team of uh talented developers who have worked really bloody hard um they've mm. had a rocky launch largely because they were trying to do something extremely ambitious um and it sounds like the uh, the game maybe didn't quite live up to that ambition at launch, but very few games actually do ship perfectly nowadays. So, I mean, um, yeah. I'm not excusing it. I think they, they should have um, allowed them more time to, to achieve what they were trying to accomplish, really, or, or hyped it less. But, so it was a misstep, but... They worked really hard on this, and uh, nobody deserves to have uh, their company sabotaged. Uh, so it, it's it's frustrating that uh, so many people were cheering this on on uh, on the internet. Yeah, well, like that's like that's a really frustrating thing because like if your company does well, then your job's at risk, which is how they they get food on the table, and like that's the thing, like. People, like people don't realize it's it like it's the work of like hundreds of human beings who've like sacrificed a lot to kind of get this out there. 
um, with very little kind of like thanks from even like management within their business, uh, within the company that they work in. And now to what should like, if what a lot of them will see is their own like piece of art, their little baby out into the world after everyone has kind of directed the hate and like the vitriol towards them. For then this to happen and people to cheer it on, like, it's not fair. It's really, it's really not fair. And I feel people need to be more aware of like the, the parasocial relationships they have. Like, I mean, like that parasocial relationship is something that's fucked around with regards to um, like streamers and like podcasters and other like other like media personalities. But it's a case where it's it's a similar case with um, like corporate entities for for lack of a better term where I mean especially in this day and age with like social media where they're like like the they like the corporate Twitter accounts and you see this a lot and it's I mean it's it, it's kind of cringeworthy but it's kind of enabled that mentality of like oh yeah it's just one big body one big like person rather than like loads of human beings yeah kind yeah. of facade so yeah I should add that the latest wrinkle in this story is that uh, reported yesterday is that apparently the uh, the hackers have successfully sold the data to somebody. Um, they were trying to auction it on um, uh, some website, uh, but they received a private offer. Now that could mean that CD Projekt Red quietly bought bought it back, um, and in order to protect their employees. Um, or it could mean that somebody somebody else um, made them an offer. It doesn't it doesn't really inform us anymore? Um, yeah, um, It would be. I'd like to think that it was CD Projekt Red and all of their team um, can relax because it must be extremely stressful to know that like all the company, all the data that your employer holds about you um, is out there somewhere, and there are people who for um, tenuous reasons hate your company and by yes, association yes, you who are, who are willing to do extreme things with that data so um, I'm hopeful that no one will get doxxed or um, uh, harassed over this but yeah. uh, it's a difficult situation for um, CD Projekt Red I mean would if it in your sh in their shoes, I mean, um, what would you do? Would you accede to their demands, or in order to protect employees, or would you? Yeah, you know. that yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's uh, how like how much could you? How much can you do? I mean, I mean, if I was in their shoes, I would have probably like had better like. Security, <laughs> but I mean that's the thing. Like, but yeah, I mean it's not. I kind of circumventing the question a bit, but like ultimately, I honestly wouldn't know. And because like, what is a good outcome? Like your QS. This is the thing. Someone, someone, like someone stole your stuff. You're gonna keep them in good faith to like actually follow through, or like even be genuine about data, which you can quite easily copy. Hmm. Yeah, I, it's like it's a difficult one. I I think for myself, I would probably, I would probably 
if I could afford it, I would try to buy back the data so that so that my staff were protected. Um, yeah, but how and then, at the end of the day? Yeah, I mean, there's no guarantee, but then at least you'd know that you did all you could um, to um, uh, for the staff. If, because, like, otherwise, I would kind of feel like I was responsible for any any doxing or harassment that went on subsequently. Um, uh, it, it, I mean, it, it's it's not... It's a terrible situation for um, uh, CD Projekt Management, and mm. they must already have been pretty damn stressed because uh, you know working working back a bit. Obviously, the uh, the the fact that Cyberpunk didn't quite land as successfully as uh, everyone had hoped caused their caused their stock to take a dive, which caused their investors to uh, take them to court over um, uh, over the project which again is a terrible situation because you know it's it's arguable that CD Projekt Red maybe put more effort into promoting the game than actually developing it because you know it must have they must have spent quite a lot of money on people like Keanu Reeves uh, and uh, expensive show announcements uh, and so on. Mm. That's that's not a not inconsiderable marketing spend. And obviously, you've got to do that in order for a game to land. I mean, we don't know what the figures are. I, you know, I have no idea how much they spent on developing the game compared to marketing yeah. it, but. It certainly feels like, um, and obviously, once you've spent that marketing money, uh, you are then kind of committed to a release window. Uh, because if you if you miss that window, then all of the the hype that you build hype is sometimes a dirty word, um, but that's the point of marketing. You know, Absolutely. everybody does it like even an indie the point of like indies tweeting about their game on twitter and attempting to get you know streamers to pick them up and and um get them noticed um the point of that is to build excitement or hype people need yeah. to be interested in your game otherwise they won't buy it and then you yeah. don't get to make any more games if people don't buy your game it's as Very simple as that yeah it, i mean like that's the, that's the thing at the end of the day if you don't try, like, if you don't market your game, you if you don't market, I mean, if you don't market anything, you're not going to really get, like, the, like, no one's going to find out. Like, sure, like, people know about the acclaim of, like, the previous titles, and based on that, a lot of people kind of got into their heads that it's going to be the same, because I don't think, like, CD Projekt Red themselves ever claimed, oh, it's going to be, like, like, it, like, it's gonna be even big. I mean, enough. I think they may have, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's like how, how do you like quantify how people are gonna to react to your stuff? Like you can't like unless, like and just because you've made titles before, it doesn't mean you can like that pull up pull away from like your usual amount of like usual amount of marketing or like the marketing that stands for the industry like 
you want to you want to kind of get your game out there, get your game like popular. But again, a lot of people like associate, oh, they've made this X title before. It's going to be the same, or it's going to have like that same level of polish of a uh, existing IP, or uh, like with existing, like uh, with a lot of existing assets, where a lot, of, a lot of it is kind of just like reiterating on pre- like stuff that you've already done before. Um, whereas with with like a new IP, a new like world, I don't know if it used a new engine or anything, but. I think they used the same engine they used in Witcher Three, but they will have had to tweak yeah. it. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's like it's a first it's an FPS versus a third person. Yeah. Like fantasy action adventure. <laughs> yeah, I mean. So, yeah. Just just briefly diving into the technical stuff, it is like that. Um, first versus third person doesn't make a huge difference to the to the it engine, the but yeah. sort of like yeah, the, the the big difference between like The Witcher Three is a vast, sprawling but mostly flat landscape. Um, yes. uh, I say flat, but two dimensional, uh, as I say. Obviously, yeah. there's there's big mountains, but like there's not a lot of stuff layered up on top. Whereas Cyberpunk is a uh, also quite sprawling, but the focus of Cyberpunk is this. Um, densely packed city which is stacked with like uh, skyscrapers and stuff so you have the you have a third dimension to take into account where you need um, loading so you can't just use like the the um, x and z coordinates to um, handle your um, level of detail i know that cd project red put a lot of work into the design of uh, the cities in uh, which are three, so that uh, Novigrad and um, the um, the one from Blood and Wine had uh, like no long straight streets, so you didn't have like you couldn't see a long distance in any direction. It has to yeah. all be crinkly, so that they've you know things that are further away can just get turned off. Um, uh, and that all games do this. Games are full of yeah. S-shaped corridors to prevent you from seeing down them. Um, so that they don't have to show you what's at the other end of that corridor until you actually go down it. Um, Absolutely, it's 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 a standard part of um, you know good game design uh, is designing such that the engine can cope with with that um, that I mean, setup. I even I even remember like some of the technologies being used back in Spiral One, where like the draw distance, like where things would get blurry, like further away they were and like the more closer you get them like the better fidelity they were in um and i, I remember that being like new first time but i mean like other grass it's it's it, like at the end of the day like even i was appalled with kind of like the conditions of like the like the work that people had to go through to get it done and like i'm like because I, I don't want to like i don't want to defend like the issues like because there were issues like that cd project i've had but nothing that warranted this <laughs> like at any level but they they ultimately like they like sure they could they the like, workers could do with unionizing and like that work like the employees could, uh, could like should have held like the those imagine accountable yeah but, i mean it it's it's always it's always a bit of a nightmare i mean I do subscribe. Yeah. Ultimately, I think crunch is um, down to management um, yes. because 
it, you know, at the end of the day, it's when you've got like more work to do than the, than time allows, fundamentally. Um, and that means that either you didn't allow enough time or you tried to do too much work. Um, both of those things are under management's control at the outset. Um, the difficulty is that usually things start to get complicated midway through de development and certain things yeah. turn out to be a big problem and they take and it, it consumes more time than, than you would expect. Oh, yeah. But that is always the way. Um, so there's there's always got to be um, contingencies such as uh, allowing a little bit of dead time so that we can like get the game to a certain level and then like don't add any new features and, and so on. Mm -hmm. I mean it is hard I mean it yeah. game development is really bloody hard nobody um, the reason that everybody crunches is because nobody can successfully predict exactly how hard any given task is going to be to do um, mm -hmm. uh, you know I'm a programmer I am terrible at estimating my own work and predicting how long it's going to take me to do something um, you're constantly surprised and sometimes you can be held up for days by some stupid trivial thing that should have been obvious um it, it happens it's less likely to happen across a larger team um because you can people can help each other and sort of like trivial stupid mistakes will can be caught more easily but you can still have unexpected interactions between systems especially if you're doing something as system rich as an rpg yeah. with which is simulating a, a living city there's a lot to go on there um and we have seen that uh, cyberpunk suffered a little bit from um simplistic systems such as traffic and and um uh, pedestrian ai because it was so complicated and they didn't yeah. have the time to develop it to the same extent that um uh, they obviously would have liked to. Um, to a certain extent, I think they. Uh, I'm just trying to think how how complicated the Witcher's um, AI was. Do Do you remember sort of like um, how the AI reacted to you pulling out your sword and just carving up villagers in The Witcher? Yeah. <laughs> so, I. It's funny because I've never like. I don't know why I can't. I can't be a bad guy. I'm really bad at being a horrible person. I've never done like, it. I don't know. It's like, it's like, like out of, out of games and in game as well. Like I'm, I tend to just, I, I feel guilty. Like I, I like, even if I do, like the only times it happens is when I'm trying to, like I've not played Witcher three in a while, and I'm like, I'm like I can't remember the controls, and I've, like I've got the control, control scheme of like another game in my head, and I use, I use it and accidentally draw out my sword and the village and the kids are screaming like the like the villagers are screaming and it's just like i just forgot <laughs> like, i didn't mean to sorry guys and like quickly try and reload um but yeah like this the fact the, the fact is they react enough to kind of make you feel oh yeah like this is bad like and i feel bad sort of thing um and like AI doesn't have to be super complex to do that, but it has to be convincing enough. And to even get to that level, like not to kind of understand it, but it's it's very much important um, to so like for that to be 
for the, for the immersion and the consistency of the AI to be there. And that it doesn't come easy. That requires testing on testing on testing. And you can't do that if you're like, if you, you can't just code something and be like, ah, voila, it's done, it's in. Um, you need to just, you need the like rigorous, like QA to kind of ensure that it's fine. Yeah, I mean, the thing is though, I, I mean, some um, CD Projekt's um, statement got a little bit of flack for appearing to blame QA for not finding some of the issues. Um, which I don't believe for a second because like, QA um, is, uh, as you say, it's 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 essential, and I'm sure that um, CD Projekt QA um, had a massive list of things that they wanted people to fix. It's not hard yeah. to find these things. The hard part is fixing them, um, and so uh, I i'm certainly in agreement that sort of like yeah don't don't go anywhere near throwing qa under the bus because it's oh, not going to be qa's fault uh they, if, they already get enough flack as it is <laughs> i know they, they, qa is uh yeah i mean seriously i have um i have a lot of respect for qa and i have um mm -hmm. fixed mm -hmm. bugs that i would never have had a clue what was causing them if it hadn't been from some enterprising um, uh, QA technician just being either ridiculously methodical and doing all sorts of bizarre tests to discover mm. um, that, for example, this bug only happens if you do this thing two levels earlier. Uh, yeah. that, there's no thinking. way I would ever have found that. And, and mm. it was something, it was really, it was a really obscure issue. And then I've had other, um, I've had other like uh, bugs that QA have just been ridiculously exhaustive and they have like eliminated all sorts of things mm. and come back to me with a breakdown of like, okay, here is a, um, the, the most important thing is re repro steps. If QA can come back to me with reproduction steps, um, to, so like this, this is how we got, this and what they will do as well good qa they will they will figure out a way of reproducing it and then they will start taking elements out of that list of actions and go sort of like okay what is the minimum that i need to do to reproduce it and again that is really helpful because as a programmer in order to fix that bug i'm going to have to reproduce it over and over again every time i try changing something to to, mm -hmm. to see if it changes so if yeah. i can if I can jump straight into a level, go straight to a particular puzzle and do something there, then, um, uh, and see whether it's fixed or not, that is a massive time saver compared to going two levels earlier and playing through all of that to get to the point where the bug happens. So, uh, yeah, it's, sorry, my little rant about, <laughs> I really appreciate QA. They, yeah. they, that's good. Seriously, good QA saves so much developer time by doing all of that searching and testing uh, and proce that process of elimination for them. It, and it, it yeah. is, um, it's not just playing the game um, oh, and then and then writing down the things that you thought were bad. You know, there, there's. Um, which which That's a lot of people seem to <laughs> exactly, and it's like it's also it's also playing a broken game is a lot long long way from playing a finished game um, absolutely God. so yeah
Yeah, no, like, and yeah, any any enterprising hobbyist or like in the listening to this, invest in some QA. You will get so much valuable information from having someone who does not have the same expectations as you play your game and yep. uh, they will find find broken stuff, they will be confused by things that you were thought you thought were obvious. It, it's it's so useful. Um, so dragging... you're going to get some angry hackers trying to sell your system. <laughs> Take your data and sell it online. Yeah, Sorry. well, dragging, <laughs> dragging it back. Yeah. We have diverged a little bit. Um, dragging it back to the, what we were originally talking about is that uh, all of this talk about like QA and development, technical development stuff comes out of, basically, do we think that CD Projekt Red bit off more than they could chew, or did they overhype the project um, that they that was that was a manageable project, but they they overhyped it to the point where it became unmanageable? Um, I mean, what do you think, Ahmed? Do you think that it was doomed from the start because of the level of excitement about it? Or no, no I don't, like this is the thing. I feel like I, I don't. I don't really kind of believe it like it was doomed from the start. I think because ultimately, if if they could have delivered a tight experience, even if it was limited in systems, it would have been something that people would have enjoyed had it been cohesive, consistent, and like a, a smooth ride from start to finish. It doesn't have to be like all the bells and whistles. I mean, you can see it with like other smaller like titles. So I think it's for people to not get like to not see situations like like this and be like oh yeah no like if it gets if something gets too big i can't do it uh, or it's like it's going to be too like too big to handle or like if hype hype just serves the purpose of getting people excited you can't control how people get excited is like it's because ultimately just just people are a double like so people yeah people are a double so like you, you get nice people you get not so nice people and ultimately like the majority of your audience is going to be quite chill but like you're still going to have a a very vocal the vocal minority who are going to be super antagonistic if you like if you betray the expectations that they themselves have placed in their head um when it like largely like either magnified or however like whatever change happened then seeing it and processing it in the head like you can't control that so I think it's a case of what like just making it as seamless as you can and had they kind of managed time like the time and scope of a bear I think it would have definitely been it would have definitely been a different like reaction like for sure even if it was a smaller scope, it wouldn't have been like the, yeah. the, the, the level think, of backlash would not happen. I think that's the that's the challenge is that they they may have felt that they were damned if they did, damned if they didn't. So if they cut the scope to make it a more linear experience, then they could probably have um, had time to fix some of the bugs, but. Mm -hmm then people would have complained that it was not the uh, completely freeform RPG that um, that they had imagined. But, um, I mean, we've seen similar things with, like, No Man's Sky, uh, where 
they were people the pitch was it's a procedurally generated universe and as a pro programmer I can immediately imagine that that is going to be basically a lot of planets that all look a little bit different but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that there will be lots of stuff to do there um so i was kind of expecting it to be a f on launch a fairly empty universe to explore yeah. because just the technical accomplishment of just generating all of that uh content was mm. was quite a challenge um uh the fact that they've continued to to patch it until uh, and add stuff to do quest lines and various like um uh new types of thing that exist in the universe like the like derelict ships and stuff like that that's mm. really impressive um uh and it's great that they that it is now pretty much matching the sort of hype that people were imagining that it might have in it there's there's a lot yeah. of stuff in there uh but it's particularly impressive that they managed to do that with a procedural game because the trick the difficulty with patching a procedural game is that you have to add new stuff but without breaking the old stuff yeah i have no clue how they are managing that unless everything is very neatly siloed so that any given planet um yeah. is uh generated according to a discrete rule set and the yeah. the new stuff that they're adding is added at at a level where it's not going to interfere with the generation of planets mm. so you can you can add an additional layer of procedural generation on top of all the stuff that you had without breaking it but i don't know how they've done things like new new biomes and new planet types yeah because the original game had all of the planets rules for generating all of the planets um unless of course they've gone well we just we will just like lock planets that have been visited and they they get locked to use the like a particular rule set because the player has visited them. Mm. If you don't notice the, you know, if you only if you get new rules only on new planets that you visit, you would never know that. If you had visited it before the patch, it would have looked different. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean that, that's that's just me musing about a, te a particular technical challenge that um, <laughs> it, it's not immediately obvious. Um, yeah. So. Um, so I think we've 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 done we've done CD project to death. <laughs> I think. Um, sorry, it's so yeah. It's it's a real it's a real shame that all their hard work um, uh, wasn't as well received uh, as it could have been. I think. Um, I think that it like No Man's Sky, they will patch out the the bugs, obviously. Um, which will eliminate that. I have heard that people are who have stuck with Cyberpunk have really enjoyed it, and mm -hmm. there is a you know if you can get past those launch bugs, then there's a really good game to be had there. So I would encourage people listening to the podcast um, to keep an eye on uh, Cyberpunk uh, if they were disappointed by the. Uh, news around launch and because i think it when they as they continue to work on it they are going to make it better and better i mean the witcher 3 took a couple of patches to to get really good um 
you know getting the text up yeah. to a size that it was readable on consoles was was most appreciated uh, but um so let's move on to uh the other thing that is um in the news at the moment which is a whole raft of acquisitions uh, by various uh studios so i'm gonna have to um uh have a look uh, at the list here uh so ea acquired glue mobile for example um uh, glue mobile Developers of uh, such games as uh, uh, Kim Kardashian uh, Fashion, I think, um, okay. Deer Hunter on mobile, a uh, whole bunch of uh, a lot, lot of games. To my shame, I had to Google to go sort of like, what did Glue do again? I'd heard of them. Um, and mm -hmm. realised that all of their games are very much uh, targeted for the mobile space. They're the sort of games that air quotes hardcore gamers would turn their nose up at and go sort of like oh that's just that's mobile you know freemium mobile gaming for casuals but they have found a niche and they have done really well at it and some of the stuff that they that they're doing like uh their um uh disney one uh for example mm. the sorcerer's um game which it, it it's a turn-based um online rpg featuring like the entire cast of like the disney universe and i i would love to play in that sandbox um mm, mm, mm. Uh, so you know they they do what they do really well uh which explains why yeah. ea acquired them for 2.1 billion dollars um Ooh, that's, uh... yes uh so they have been very successful with with that format i mean uh, what do you think about this um ahmed do you think it is just not specifically EA and Glue, but in the broader sense, studios acquiring other studios, um, is that good? Is that bad? So, I mean, like, it's part of big business. Like, any big company you find will tend to be like tend to lean to acquiring studios and like it's just part of like how companies grow they don't like very few companies just grow naturally through their own products or anything because as these companies are publicly traded or, and have like boards and like in, a lot of investors they become a lot more risk averse and like th that kind of mentality i mean kills innovation like hugely no matter how no matter who says like oh yeah no we're still innovating you call you can call them out on like the, the products they're making and what they're doing i mean like look at look at like um like ea at the activision blizzard like what new innovative like what innovative interesting ips have they made in like the last five years that they've sustained or even or released in the last five or ten years. Like actually no, ten years might be a bit too long. Um but ultimately they because it's this isn't exclusive to games by any stretch of like the imagination. Um so like and a lot of like the heads like the business heads in games development aren't game developers. They aren't they they don't come from game development. They come from other industries where the, the practice is you buy smaller businesses that are succeeding and like innovating where the innovations have paid off 
you then go buy them and utilize that for yourself. And that can be like these innovations could be innovations with big IP, which as it, I think is going is the case with Blue, where I mean you like they've got the Kardashians, they've got um, they've got Disney. Um, what's the other one? Like there's a third one. Uh, like um, WWE, like the world wrestling. Yeah, again, like, like huge IP. Huge, huge IP, and like the the fact that they've proven out that they can make software with that with this IP that makes that is successful financially is enough of a driver for business. Like to look at them, and get say, hey, um, we'll we'll buy you out. Uh, here's literally billions of dollars. <laughs> um, say yes <laughs> and, and like people will say yeah sure because like i mean if you if you're dealing with ips like that you're not like you're not looking you're looking to be bought <laughs> um I, yeah i'm like yeah it's, it's an not interesting like, one, like right? an indie game or yeah. like something interesting like challenging and or diverse but yeah it's, it's an interesting one isn't it i mean i think <sighs> It's very di it's very different depending on the scale of the yes. um, acquisition, I think, um, yeah. because there. I mean, I mean, going back, going back twenty five years or so um, to sort of like the first one that um, that I can remember, which I mean, I'm sure there were other acquisitions beforehand, but uh, one that I was quite close to was when uh, EA acquired Bullfrog. Yeah. Um, uh, the developers of uh, Populous and Dungeon Keeper uh, and mm -hmm. uh, various other like uh, really uh, inventive and successful games. Um, and I, th I think people are kind of worried that when a company is acquired that it will lead to that, to the, the death of that company's unique voice. Um, and I have to say that that kind of was the case with EA acquiring Bullfrog because basically uh, they a lot of the Bullfrog staff weren't happy about being acquired and therefore they left and that created all of the startup studios surrounding uh, Bullfrog so that's where uh, Lionhead um, uh, mm. Big Blue Box uh, came from um, Mucky Foot um, but this you know this is um, ancient um, history, but you know the. It's notable that like Big Big Blue Box created Fable, um, and then sort of like yeah, yeah. struggled, and then they were struggled. They were almost like reacquired by Lionhead and became part yeah, of yeah. that. And it, it's um, it's a it's a difficult one so i think at a small like, scale at a small scale acquisition can be a really good thing because it, it's yeah. basically uh it at a small scale it is a rich company basically going kind of like okay well we think that you have a lot of potential to be really successful you have a lot of talent what you need is money we will buy you that will give you the money that you need to um uh be successful even more successful uh, and then we will yeah. ha have a cut of that as well. So it, it, you know, it can be a win-win. Sometimes it can be a bit more predatory, where it's yeah. basically kind of like we want your talent, um, but not well, necessarily it, your yeah. um, 
we don't want you to do what you want. We want to use your talent to make our stuff better. Um, mm -hmm. And well, that... like, not even it's not even necessarily talent. A lot of the times, it's just like we want like the licenses you have. Oh yeah, it can be that as well. Yeah, or like the tech yeah. that you have, and it's like. And it, like you say, it's, it's very much all about intent, and you can kind of gauge that based on like company's history, <laughs> and also kind of like why, like what the what that company and business is doing, like what are they making, and how, like if you don't see yourselves, like yourselves as a business, like meshing in well with them because it doesn't make like the 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 catalog of like products doesn't make sense like to be to become one then it's there's probably an ulterior motive <laughs> i think in this particular case with with ea and glue i would say that w what we have here is ea want to use glue's mobile expertise because like, glue are not short of money themselves oh. uh, but uh, so they don't really need, you know, they've proven that, like, they know what they're doing. They have, they are, you know, a very successful company already. Mm -hmm. But I think what EA want is to be able to go sort of like, okay, we have all of these IPs that we are not doing much with in the mobile space. Mm -hmm. You know what you're doing. Take them. Because, for example, you know, EA have a history of not being particularly successful on mobile. Like, I mean... Dungeon Keeper again is a great example of a you know trying to take something into mobile and just getting it wrong fundamentally. Yeah. Um, so I would expect that the point of this is for EA to be able to basically hand off uh, a lot of their IPs to Glue in order to for Glue to do it right and make money for EA. Um, and that means that EA will have that market segment covered by mm. buying in the expertise that they needed. So, um, so that, that's that's a, another way that it, it can work, and that's a win-win for for Glue as well because it means that Glue yes. gets to play with a whole bunch of um, uh, new IPs uh, and you know potentially IPs that will attract more hard again air quotes hardcore gamers um, who are interested in some of those like ips that ea holds such so, you know yeah. i can't imagine that dungeon keeper will be well received if you know even if glue remake it properly um yeah. on mobile but um the you know you can imagine that they're going to have a whole bunch of um ip to play with that uh they can make really appealing um so Absolutely. I think that's a good one. I mean, um, moving on to, to other um, uh, acquisitions, though, um, we've got, uh, let's see, um, I'm just trying to, there was a whole bunch, and I can't remember them all off the top of my head. I, I'm having to um, check up. Jewel Shockers was acquired by GRV um, uh, last month. Uh, they, uh, let's see, that's, that's, that's more in the media um, sphere. We've got uh, yeah. uh, Plugin Digital have acquired Black Shell's uh, uh, catalog, um, which covers Dungeon Souls, Zombie Party, um, Raining Blobs, um, uh, and uh, like Sanctuary uh, RPG. Mm -hmm. There's uh, there was, but that's not the the big news that I was um, thinking of when I was uh, searching for this. 
there have been uh, a number of, um, I mean, other interesting uh, acquisitions recently, um, since I can't pick up the particular news, but famous ones was like Rare being acquired by Microsoft. Um, I thought that already happened. So, like, uh, I don't know why, but I was just, I always thought Rare were already like part of Microsoft. No, no, they they used to um, they made some of like the most successful um, games for Nintendo. Uh, so Banjo Kazooie was a, a standout um, N sixty four title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, because I mean more like recently, because I remember I think they parted ways with Nintendo about like the Metroid Prime era. Like I remember, I think one Metroid Prime one was done by Rare. But I'm not entirely certain. Or at least it was like supported. I can't. I'm I not have to double check that. Well, I, I remember that they they acquired Microsoft acquired them in order to have some um, standout content for the Xbox 360, um, uh, if I recall uh, correctly, because they did um, uh, they did Perfect Dark Zero and they did um, what was the the other one. Um, Oh, I was thinking of retro. Sorry, <laughs> retro studios. Oh, okay, okay. Um, didn't I, uh, just look at the um, back catalogue. Uh, and obviously, they have done some um, cracking. More recently, they've done some great new IP for Microsoft, such as uh, mm. Sea of Thieves. And I'm really looking forward to Everwild. Um, that's very much my mm. uh, my mm. cup of tea. Um, uh, there was a there was a fantasy RPG style game that was a launch title for 360, if I recall correctly. Um, that I have. Uh, hang on a minute. Go through the. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the full um, the full back catalogue is is quite extensive um, uh, for rare. But of course, you do get. Whenever you acquire uh, someone, you, uh, cameo elements of power. That's all I was thinking of for three for three sixty, um, and and that was that was one of the um, first three sixty. Uh, it was one of the launch titles. Um, so in this in this case, it was a case of Microsoft acquiring a company in order to create content for their platform. Uh, again, like working through all the different reasons that this might want to happen. Um, um, uh, and then they did Perfect Dark uh, Zero, but uh, let's see. You do you often get this situation where uh, when a company is acquired, um, yeah. if it if it changes things and some of the staff don't like it, then then they depart. Um, mm. uh, so, for example, in the case of Rare, uh, we have Platonic, um, uh, who uh, spun out of uh, Rare was set up by a, a bunch of their um, uh, alumni who had worked on a whole bunch of classic rare games, yeah. Banjo Kazooie and Conkers and uh, stuff like that, um, because they wanted to go back to doing the sort of games that they used to enjoy uh, mm. making. And and I think more importantly um, than than that, probably they may have wanted to get back to a way of working that was different to the way that the studio evolved towards under microsoft because yeah. necessarily when you are part of a large organization everything has to be a little bit more organized you can't fly by the seat of your pants as much 
Um, yeah, I mean, definitely, like, when it gets to, like, companies of that scale, like, I mean, Microsoft, for sure, they would have tried to, like, kind of inject their, like, at least, because they, they always, uh, like, uh, like I, I, I have history with, like, working in a big, big corporate company, so I know what happens when they, like, what tends to happen, like, well, like, the general kind of patterns of behavior that tends to happen. At least at the beginning, unless they, when especially when they're like very big and they invest a lot in like this is our culture and everything kind of should be part of it because of like they are so invested in their own work company culture that they can't be wrong and it's just yeah and so a lot of the times they kind of leave the company to do as it is at the beginning and then kind of slowly drip feed or like like change things slowly until you like you suddenly realize oh wait we're the same uh one one morning like after drinking your coffee um but, <laughs> but uh, there's all the companies where like, like the takeover is so like violent people, people leave immediately, immediately and kind of like, like i mean that's that's, that's just bad management but they're like because what's the value of like what was the point of like the merging acquisition if you're that fine about it? unless it's like not for people at all so but even then there's still like that's part of the value that immediately lost that yeah it's uh a lot of these people don't tend to think clearly like in management so yeah i i think well, no, I think like <laughs> Sorry, management. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I've 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 been there. I mean, like, I used to work at TT Games, which was a um uh, uh, yeah. a, a small studio with 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 a good pedigree that got acquired by Warner Brothers um, as it was uh, growing, and that enabled TT to be um, a lot more successful. It gave them access yeah. to a whole bunch of IP and oh, yeah. uh, and so on. So it was really good for for the business. Uh, uh, it also brought kind of like job security, which was uh, appealing. I mean, not industry. that not that anybody was worried about their jobs at TT, but th this is the thing. You know, a lot of people who had worked at other places were well aware that like uh, game studios can be a fragile edifices. And, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so job I mean, security is is a is a big plus. Um, hugely, it's like especially like I mean like it's not uncommon to hear, oh yeah, like three hundred staff, two hundred staff, like ex just hundreds of staff getting laid off every other month in other studios where they're just like, what? They don't survive. Mm. It's um. It's a, it's an interesting one. So um, I thought that we would um, uh, moving on from from company acquisitions because I think we've covered pretty much yeah. all of the <laughs> the different motivations for that and and yeah, ramifications. Yeah, yeah. Um, just wanted to finish with um, something a little bit uh, lighter, um, which is <laughs> the news that we have uh, the first like major castings for the Last of Us movie. Um, yes, which is very exciting. So. Um, for, for those who um, who missed the news, uh, Pedro Pascal has been cast as uh, uh, as Joel, and uh, Ellie has uh, sorry um, Bella Ramsey has been cast as Ellie. Um, so, uh, Ahmed, what do you think? Are, are you excited about seeing Last of Us as a movie? 
so I like it has a like the Last of Us movie just has like a like I mean not the like, the movie itself but like so, so the series has a special place in my heart like I really really enjoyed it um, both of them until <laughs> like and I've been like I've been super like I I like so this is the thing I kind of I went into like I got to as soon as I could because I'm like well I say as soon as I could I didn't get it immediately on launch but I got it when everyone was starting to kick off about it um but yeah like I like I I, I loved it and I'm really excited to see Pedro like I'm just so excited to see Pedro Pascal like he has a he I don't know why but in every film he plays he plays a father figure <laughs> like I say every film like it, like every like not even film like a lot of the TVs and I mean like the Mandalorian is like <laughs> this little like sorry yeah like as I was gonna as I was saying like about Pedro Pascal like everything he's been in he's played a father figure of sorts and it's gonna be interesting because he like it's such a different like dynamic because like then then like they're not father and daughter <laughs> like either there is very much a complete like I mean it, it's not a spoiler it's like how they how how it's introduced like Ellie isn't Joel's like daughter. I don't know if they're gonna change that, but it's you like you kind of come to see that like later on um, a bit more. But it like it's it's a very like it's a complicated relationship. I'm interested in seeing how it plays out, especially um, like I'm, like Lyanna Mormon like played Bella Ramsey like. I'm really kind of interested in, in seeing such like fresh based talent be like joining the industry and becoming like more of a like a name following this because I mean Ellie is like the, the other protagonist like she is very much like she shares the, the same like the limelight as Joel will so because it's it's a story about the two of them especially if like they're gonna cover like the story of the first game or at least like something within like this like that cover that spans at least like the first game because yeah that'll be interesting to see like i'm really really looking forward to it yeah but what about you like i've kind well, of watched them all in the well all, the trick with video game adaptations is always that like you're having to you're having to subtract the interactivity uh basically um and yeah. some some video game stories just don't hold up when you take the uh, take that agency away from from the audience. Um, yeah. So it's but obviously The Last of Us um, uh, and in fact sort of like a lot of Naughty Dogs um, stuff uh, is very is already highly story driven and already presented like a movie. So it's almost like, um, mm. what will this give us that you couldn't get from just sort of like cutting together all of the cutscenes from the video game? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that, that's, okay. that's an interesting one because uh, I think it's got to, um, it is going to land differently because 
the the interactive bits that you have in the video game are kind of what builds your engagement with the characters so the fact that for example you're sort of like sneaking through um a town full of uh, zombies and trying to um protect ellie but she's helped mm -hmm. but she's calling out like helpful advice and uh, and so on that interaction during the 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 combat parts of the video game uh yeah. really helps to build that relationship between the characters i guess that what you gain in the movie that you don't have in the video game is that you actually have um real actors on screen and not cg you know um say cg not like video game characters even though like naughty dogs mm -hmm. cutscenes are absolutely top notch um yeah uh I mean, I, there's, I mean, sorry go sorry, on. Go ahead. well there's a, a funny thing uh i noticed that like audiences quite often look at like video game cutscenes and they are like very excited to see big explosions and superpowers and uh uh you know epic vistas and so on and then like game developers look at cutscenes and they are very impressed to see a character taking off a jumper on screen because oh my god that is the hardest thing never mind sort of like a vast sweeping landscape with spaceships descending from the sky and explosions going off <laughs> that stuff is easy taking clothes on or off yeah. is the worst the absolute worst <laughs> hundred percent like yeah no it's like it's it's gonna be interesting to see because like you say like you said like <laughs> can't really call Naughty Dogs games games anymore they're very much like Naughty Dogs cinematic experiences <laughs> with, a, with with like I mean like they definitely like like this is not to describe them because like their gameplay modes are hella refined like seeing videos of people like with the combat in Last of Us like it's actually so good. It's like I, I felt like a pleb afterwards. I was like, "Damn, you could you you could do all that like you, like because you do you can be absolute badass if you stop being an actual chicken in real life, which I didn't do. I I stayed chicken like from, from beginning to end. But it's um like it's gonna be interesting to kind of see what like. This is the thing they they have a lot they can flesh out like they could flesh out more of the first half where it's a lot like that like it's not really it's very brief i say first half but like the bit where like the distance like really emphasize the distance between the two characters and like any other characters that are involved like could have more of a presence in the, in the film and at the end of the day we have to remember this is like a, this is a film it's going to be two hours or so oh and i say two hours like yeah, about that, I, I'd be surprised if it dragged up, like, went on for longer, and I don't, and this is the thing, we don't know, like, where they're going to start, where they're going to end, because they could, they, like, they, like, it could keep going after, like, the, like, the game and sort of thing, it could, it could start, it can end where two starts, which one doesn't do, and it could, like, it could flesh up the bit in between there, like, there's actually a lot more that you can kind of dive dive into, and I think the fact that even though yeah, like a lot of like the actual like gameplay practice experiences of how a lot of the players build up their affinity with the characters, 
there's a lot that like the the writers can do and like the just the team in general can do they really utilize the story to like it like in the gaps that would be there and they could put in like interesting like subplots and like even focusing on like the because it's not just um it's not just the like, zombies it's like fireflies and all like the interaction with them and like they could really like delve into like how like they became like well not just fireflies like other um other smugglers and everything and like that how the, the whole dynamic with how how they go about with that and yeah it'd be re- like there's a i feel like there's a lot they can work with so even though like i've seen like i've gone through the story before i know that there's a lot that they can do that will still surprise us and still like excite us yeah so i mean that's do you think it's do you think it would be a good idea to sort of like change certain aspects of the story just for the sake of change to, in order to surprise existing audiences or do you think it's it's better to stick to the core story and just like retell it for a larger audience that will hopefully bring people to more people to play the game um well, that's the thing like i'd be interested in saying like if they do take back French, but i feel like there is a lot they can do without like warping a lot of like the core beats of um like the the initial story um and i like i don't want to spoil it at all so but like i think there's a lot they can do around it because again like i can't remember all like the bits in between the core beats and everything like but i do remember like the key moments and if they keep the key moments that they they emphasized in the first one but kind of kind of change the stuff around it and hopefully they don't like change the order too much um they can, but they like they can stretch this is the thing they can play with like how long things take and everything yeah but it'd be a bit like i don't know like this is this is a problem with being like a fan of something and then like they try and retell the story <laughs> you don't like, want to that's the thing you yeah if you don't want to see your favorite bits lost Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of why, like, I didn't get along with like the Harry Potter films because I read the books as a kid, right. loved them, and then I was just like, oh no, um, like it's it's not how I remembered it. Um, Lord of the Rings are different. Lord of the Rings, like, they yeah. like they they held true and adaptation. Well. Yeah, adaptation is is a real challenge, particularly from an interactive format where the like games are built for the most part to provide sort of like um, an interactive experience um, and so it'll be interesting to see how it lands because I mean I have watched I have watched the story of video games um, uh, for example before I played it I watched the story mm. of Horizon Zero Dawn because I didn't think I would have time to play it um, yeah. I watched the story all the way through with all the cutscenes cut together oh, on no. YouTube oh, no. and, and, and it was and it didn't really work it, it yeah. because i didn't uh you know i hadn't i didn't understand the scope of the, the the world and stuff it worked well enough that it made me want to play the game so i did yeah. so i have so i did, i went back and then played all the way through the game and then i really appreciated um the story but the interesting yeah. thing is like if you just take out those interactive bits that doesn't leave you with a co- necessarily with a coherent story because yeah. the, the the interactive 
spaces give the narrative a bit of time to breathe uh, and yes. even some of the um, little asides that you get during gameplay um, even mm. though this supercut had included key bits of dialogue that happened during gameplay um, mm -hmm. it didn't it still didn't convey the entire experience of for example um, assaulting a particular um, uh, settlement um, with allies and and then talking about what you what you just did yeah if you miss out the whole settlement assault then it's implied that something happened mm. but if yeah. you didn't if you didn't see it obviously those things can be replaced with action scenes um you know probably shorter than the gameplay sequences uh but you you still you need to have those those like spaces in between the key beats so it's not easy to just shorten the whole thing by cutting out uh content yeah. um so it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it lands but i'm trying to think can you think of any other um video game adaptations that have been quite so story focused in their in their source game i mean this is the thing like i don't know if there are any adaptations of games to film that even worked well so it's just like uh, um yeah i don't I honestly don't know like is it from like game for anything else that you're thinking of or yeah because i'm not sure it's a it's a challenge isn't it i mean i, I think like the resident evil films um <laughs> are, are an interesting one because some of them work, work quite well because ultimately like the, those games were inspired by uh, romero's films um yeah uh and so like a lot of that went into the games and then sort of like then turning the games back into uh, movies some of them worked quite well as as action movies um that's like stuff that you have you can turn your brain off to yeah <laughs> that's, i think that's something that whereas the last of us uh has certainly got um and, and obviously like uncharted uh, again mm. i think will work quite well as, as as an action movie because again uncharted came like directly from like indiana jones and similar yeah. pop, um 50s sort of adventure serials so it, it's there is there's already an existing kind of um very well-defined genre there um mm. uh, and although it has to be said that the Tomb Raider movies weren't all that successful in this in a very similar genre, yeah, yeah, um, which is a shame because I actually kind of enjoyed them, like because I wasn't super. Like, I, I think this is the thing: if you're not a fan of it, you're not really bothered about like the yeah, like, it, it, like continuity. But it, it's an interesting one because, like, yeah, I mean. I mean, Hitman's another good example that I found did not work well mm. adapting it to film. I think partly because it it mostly ended up as a, a, like a big action sequence shootouts. Um, uh, in I was like, oh, there, is, is there only two Hitman films? Um, I think there's only two, um, but both of them I felt 
went too far towards the action hero stereotype and uh but the way that certainly the way that i play it in the game uh is to is to be extremely stealthy and i kind of think that the the game comes out of like the opening sequence of leon for example mm. um it's uh it's that or to pick a more obscure um uh film that i can't remember the title of there are other hitman films where the the hitman is yeah. like is literally a ghost and you you know the, the action scenes are all from the point of view of the victims showing how the hitman is able to basically um he's like two steps ahead of them he's planning around things he's moving around you know without being seen he's mm. surprising everybody because that's what you need to do as a hitman um yeah whereas like the hitman movies were much more about sliding down banisters with like a machine gun in each hand which is probably i don't know any real hitmen but i'm fairly certain that they would not advise that as uh, you know <laughs> a, a, as a um, professional technique are you sure you don't know any hitmen <laughs> i maybe i do i wouldn't know I'm not gonna cry because I don't wanna. Just suddenly, like, like this, like the line cuts, the internet cuts, and bam. But yeah, no, like I do know what you mean. I think it a lot. A lot of it kind of comes down to like, does it lose the essence of what made like the original so fun to, like, hey, really, and. And like, and like if it's narrative focused or if it's like kind of the, like the way the mechanics are, like it's it, it's important that kind of carries across because if they ha if they had done that kind of like oh like you say oh he's a ghost or anything uh, like in like the Hitman films I'm sure they would have been a lot better received or if like even if the Resident Evil films were less actiony like and had focused on like being like the kind of like this the like the frantic survival of the cars in, in the horror like rather than it being kind of just like a cheesy like b movie zombies uh, zombie flick i think it would be like a lot of people would have more confidence in like game films which is why like i'm not super like the monster hunter one i'm not thinking is going to be much like i'm not looking forward to that one because i know there's like the budget isn't behind it and it's like I think it's just it's the same people that made the Resident Evil film, Evil films I think so I'm not it, expecting anything. It's gonna <laughs> be it's gonna be cheesy fun, isn't it? They they yeah. they know what they're what they're making there. Um, uh, mm. But I, I guess that 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 fits because I mean when you look at like the size of the weapons that they're carrying in the, in like the yeah. stills and the production, it's very hard to deliver that in a sort of like po faced you know deathly serious Lord of the Rings fashion when you yeah, have such true. ridiculous weapons um and i guess there's a certain element of that with resident evil as well where some of the um like monsters in resident evil are just so ridiculous um that you you can't you can't you can't take it too seriously or you you know you could you could maybe redesign some of them to be sort of like more horrific and less silly potentially yeah, yeah, yeah. but um but i think with the last of us the 
the source material is so grounded um, and focused on the humanity of the uh, the characters because um, uh, and that, so it's ultimately it is it's a story about people fighting for their humanity and I think that that could work really really well on film yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no. so yeah it's yeah. a uh, I'm looking forward to it let's say mm-hmm. that and certainly you know uh, Pedro Pascal is eminently watchable uh, so <laughs> I, I, he's, he's, he's rapidly rising to the uh, to the top of my list of well, like, we'll watch anything with him in um, uh, because yeah he, he just yeah he's, he's great so um yeah any any final final thoughts on on game to film adaptations <laughs> yeah. I, i'm hoping that last of us film world kind of get more people to back games to like games to films that are actually good <laughs> sorry <laughs> sorry to anyone who enjoys like any other games to films <laughs> I guess. I guess we shouldn't. We shouldn't really um, uh, wrap up without mentioning um, Bob Hoskins as Mario. Um, (laughs) But we've now mentioned, and we shall move on. (laughs) (laughs) Let's swiftly move on. Thanks very much, Ahmed, uh, for joining me, Um, and. Uh, so we have been Game Dev London. Uh, you can uh, find uh, new podcasts uh, from us uh, every Monday at gamedev.london. Thank you very much for watching and uh, we will see you next time.